few years ago, I was reading this study that had been done in the early 2000s, and it referenced uh, just what is required as an average human being to just live our lives. For instance, it, it recognized that you can go about 40 days without food. Furthermore, it said that you can go about three days without water. You can go about eight minutes on average without breathing, which seems kind of crazy to me, but you can really only go about one second without hope. In other words, like there's something within all of us that hopes for something better to come each and every second. In fact, that's the story of Christmas. That's the arrival of Jesus. Sometimes we can sentimentalize the manger scene and we can assume that things were easier than they really were. But the reality is that Jesus entered the world as a baby in the most unforeseen circumstances in ways that nobody expected him to. In fact, it begins in Luke chapter 1. The book of Luke is written by a physician, a doctor. His name is, is Luke. And Luke records in the most detail, more than any other biblical writer, the birth of Jesus. In fact, he begins in the first chapter, verse 26, by saying that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And Joseph is the descendant of David. Now, virgin's name is, is Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, Mary, you are, you're highly favored. The Lord is with you. I think just for a lot of us today, like we need to be reminded of the fact that God is he's with us. He's with, he's with you. Listen to me, no matter what decisions you've made or haven't made, it is imperative to understand that God is always with you. And if He's with you, that's indicative of the fact that He is for you. He's not with you in the sense that He's looking to shame you, looking to smite you, looking to kind of backhand you when you're not looking. Like God is with you in the exact opposite sense. The fact that everywhere you go, His presence is there too, is indicative of the fact that His love follows you and pursues you no matter what you've done or haven't done. That's good news. That's good news for me. That's good news for you. That is good news for all mankind. And that's what the angel shows up to Mary and tells her, hey, listen, the Lord's with you. To which I would think that even today, that's what the voice of God is speaking to you in your home, in your car, wherever you may be hanging out with us right now. God is, he's with you, man. He is so for you. We got to be reminded of the fact that God's with us. I think sometimes we got to remind ourselves that in every single moment of our lives, God is with us. In fact, it's his presence that makes the greatest and most massive difference in our lives. And it goes on, it says in verse 29 then, that Mary is greatly troubled at his words. I love this. I love how real the scripture is here. And it says that she wondered, what kind of greeting is this? An angel shows up and says, hey, Mary, you're highly favored. And oh, by the way, God's with you. And Mary's like, what, what kind of hello is that? But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Second time that the angel reminds Mary that you are favored by God. You're going to conceive and give birth to a son. You're going to call him Jesus. He's going to be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He's going to reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. To which then Mary says, and she's so real, she's so honest, we can connect and relate with Mary today. She's like, um, hold up a second. How is this going to be? I'm only a virgin. Let's keep this G-rated because I know that my kids are hanging out watching us right now too. But Mary's just keeping it real with the angels. Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm not sure that this is actually even possible. To which the, an the angel then answers. He's like, no, no, Mary, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Which is like, 
even more freaky. Like this is something out of the twilight zone right here. It says, And the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, your cousin, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is actually in her sixth month, going into her third trimester. Come on, somebody. Bless Elizabeth. And he goes on. He concludes by saying, this is a word for us today, church. Listen. For no word from God will ever fail. The angel's reminding Mary of this beautiful truth, that there is not a single thing that God told you when you were young or God spoke to you when you were older that will ever fail. No matter how long it's been since you first heard that word, no word from God is going to fail, to which Mary responds the way in which we all ought to respond. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25, the author The Apostle Paul, he says, Now hope that is seen, it's not really hope. For who hopes for that which he can see? But if we hope for what we don't see, then we wait for it with patience. We're we're concluding this, this collection of talks that we've been in over the last few weeks called Christmas more than a story. Because sometimes I think we can just assume this is just another year. It's the edition of Christmas. It's the story of Jesus. But the reality is that Christmas is so much more than just simply a story. I want to conclude these talks tonight with a message entitled The Hope of Christmas. There is some serious hope in this story about the arrival of Jesus. Have you ever received a Christmas gift before and it really took you by surprise like in a good way? I remember years ago a bunch of friends got together and they wrote some, some letters to me and told some stories of experiences that we had together and they put all of these letters in a book. There was a lot of time and effort and intentionality and strategy that went into it. I remember getting that on Christmas and thinking, man, this is probably the coolest gift that I've ever been given. I was, I was surprised by this gift, but I could also recall a time when I was in elementary school and I received a box of rocks. Box of rocks for your boy. Like what kind of Christmas present is a box of rocks when given to an elementary kid? Now, now, to the credit of the gift giver, it was like cool rocks. But when you're in third grade, I don't think there are such things as cool rocks. They're just rocks. And you throw them, you play with them, you, you know, you're, you're, you're a boy, you just do things that, you know, boys do and they toss them around. But you don't get them for Christmas. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the Christmas gift that I had, that I had expected. In fact, the, the story of Christmas in general, as we've kind of outlined over the last few weeks, is is a story that so few people expected. It was one of really a lot of surprises. The angel shows up to Mary, who was about to be betrothed, as the scripture says, to Joseph, which is just an old first century Jewish way of saying she's about to be married to Joseph. And she essentially says to, to Mary, hey, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Oh, and yeah, no, no, not a baby with Joseph, but a baby with the Holy Spirit. And Mary's like, come again. Like this isn't what Mary was expecting. It's not what the people of the day were expecting. It's, it's something that Joseph was expecting. Can you imagine when Mary goes to Joseph? She's like, uh, hey honey, you, you know we're getting married soon. I've got some news to tell you. I'm pregnant. And Joseph's like, where is he? Let's go. Like who's the guy? And she's like, no, 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 no. There's good news, Joseph. It's not another guy. Um, it's God. God has impregnated me, right? Like this, like, like Joseph's like, 
Mary, you are off of your rocker, girl. What have you been smoking? Like, you've been hanging out with Moses at the burning bush. Like, this is weird stuff right now. Like, this is crazy. What's going on here? Joseph had to make a decision. Do I continue to trust my soon-to-be wife? Do I believe her and take her at her word? This isn't what Joseph was expecting. Not to mention, as the story goes on, they're, they're in Bethlehem, which is like nowhereville. Nothing good comes from this area. There's no rooms available. Mary gives birth to Jesus in a barn. We mentioned a few weeks ago, but this is not a barn that you young lady are hoping to get married in someday and have these really cool pictures with all this white shiplap. Like, no, this is a barn that smells It's stinky. It's gross. There's no cinnamon. There's no nutmeg. This place is full of dirty, disgusting animals, which is indicative of the fact that Joseph couldn't even afford the proper lodging in order to secure just a good place for Mary to give birth because because Jesus is being born into like the poorest of the poor families. In fact, we find out even later that there was a sacrifice that needed to be offered for the firstborn of any family. This is part of Jewish custom and tradition. and, 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 And And Mary and Joseph, they couldn't afford the sacrifice, which was supposed to be a lamb. So there's a provision in the law that said, look, if you can't afford it, if you don't have the income and the means to do it, then you can sacrifice a pigeon and a dove, which they had to to do. This isn't what you expect for the Messiah, for the king to enter into the world. It doesn't make any sense. It's not the surprise that they were assuming was going to come. In fact, we also find out for the first two years of Jesus' life, He's just a baby. And King Herod, the king of the day, he wants to kill him because he hears about these prophecies that there's a king going to be born. And then he hears that, oh, the king has been born. And so he says, we got to kill this baby. We've got to kill this child because he's going to take over my throne. And so they're on the run because they're concerned that their, their newborn baby is going to be murdered. It doesn't seem to fit the role of the entrance of the Messiah into the world. For God to step down on a rescue mission, it seems like God didn't really even make proper provision for his own son. Not what they expected. Not what you would have expected. Come on, we can, we can all relate to scenarios in our lives where something happens and it went away in which we just weren't expecting. We had hope for some beautiful future, that tomorrow was going to be great, that that job was going to accept my application, that that resume was going to get to the top of the pile, I was going to get into the school of my choice, that my family was going to be perfect, that my marriage was going to be perfect. It was going to look just like the movies and just like the rom-coms I used to watch when I was younger. But now it's painful, it's challenging, it's frustrating. I'm annoyed. All my kids do. Those kids that I prayed for, they just wreak havoc on my house. Come on, somebody. I'm speaking and just venting myself right now. Like my son just knocked over my bedstand today. Like this is real life right here. It's not, it's not what you expected. That's just the nature really in so many ways of, of our year. Like here we are, Christmas Eve, and we're approaching the end of the year. In 2020, it was nothing like we expected. Like, can I just be honest? I taught a series to kick this year off called This is God's Year to Act. Like, that's comical at this point. Like, I think that was just like God's comedic like, way of telling me, like, Jordan, you don't have a single clue what's going on. Like, you know, like this is... But the reality is I still believe that it actually is God's year to act. I was, I was asked not too long ago by some friends, like, hey, who was your teacher growing up? Who was your favorite teacher, rather, growing up? And, 
And I, and I responded with, well, that, that depends. Like, are you asking who I had the most fun with or who I learned the most from? Because, because I don't look back at, at my high school years. I, I had teachers that were really fun, but I can't say that I learned a ton from them. Then I had teachers who were really difficult and challenging, specifically towards me or maybe towards my group of friends. And as a result, I feel like those are the ones who today I still carry some of the life lessons that they taught me all the way into my, into my present. Because you know this to be true. I know this to be true. If you've lived any amount of time, we've discovered that the seasons of our lives that are the most fun, they're not necessarily the most fruitful. But also the seasons that we get the most out of aren't necessarily the ones that we would choose to do over again. My wife and I used to have this tree that we had planted in the front of our, of our old home. And, and we, had, we had planted it when it was really small and it was really young. And, and, and over the course of time, we had to continually prune this tree. It was, a, it was a small, like mini weeping willow tree. And if we didn't stay on top of it, we didn't keep it pruned, the thing would just take on a mind of its own and it became an animal in our yard. And so Courtney, oftentimes all throughout the spring and the summer and the fall, she'd take a few steps back, sit kind of a few yards away from the tree, and she'd just point out branches in places where she wanted me to trim, places she wanted me to prune. After about eight years, that tree grew into the tree that my wife had originally planned for that tree to become. But it took a whole lot of pruning to get there. It's appropriate and probably even more so this year appropriate to call challenging seasons of our lives pruning seasons. But it's also necessary to remind ourselves that pruning seasons with God are preparation seasons too. If we think about Joseph and Mary for just a moment, let's rewind again to Luke chapter 1. It, it had to be unbelievably hard for Joseph to take Mary at her word. It had to be so challenging for Mary to walk through town, kind of watching people turn their heads and begin to whisper rumors about her as she's now pregnant and not, not married. It had to be physically hard to simply travel from Bethlehem only to discover that there is no room available at the Holiday Inn and the best they got is this smelly little barn. Like it had to be hard for Mary to give birth to Jesus in that barn, knowing that this isn't sanitary. Like there's no Lysol, there's no hand sanitizer there. Like there's a very good chance that Mary does not survive this birthing process. That possibly even the baby that's impregnated her by God, maybe he doesn't survive either. See, in one, in one breath, it's interesting that, that God says, hey Mary, um, I'm with you and you're highly favored by me. And that as we see this story progress, the scenarios and the circumstances that surrounded Mary seemed anything but being favored by God. And I think the challenge that we face today, primarily as followers of Jesus in our 21st century Western culture, is that we think that when God says he's going to do something in our lives, it's just going to be easy. But don't assume that you are wrong when life gets a little difficult when people begin to question you, when the struggle really becomes that much more real. Sometimes life is hard. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Like a lot of times life is hard. It had to be hard for Mary and Joseph. It had to be challenging for Mary and Joseph. Like, no, 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 like it actually had to be hard for them. See, I, I've, I've got this, this stress ball that I, 
that I keep on my desk. Go figure. 2020, we should all have stress balls at every corner of our home right now. But, but, but I noticed something. A lot of times I like to throw this ball at the wall and just catch it and whatever. Maybe it helps clear my mind or my thoughts. But, but if I throw the ball at something soft, it doesn't tend to bounce back. It doesn't tend to come back my direction. If I throw it at my bed, it just kind of stays in my bed. If I throw it at my pillow, it just kind of rests on my pillow. But if I throw the ball on a hard surface, the ball bounces back every time. In fact, the harder the surface, the greater the opportunity for the ball to bounce back even further. See, I, I, I've discovered that even in life, in fact, listen, I'm not a Bible scholar. There's probably some of you who are listening to this right now, and you probably know the Bible way better than I do, but I have discovered this, that whenever we see a problem in the scriptures, in the Bible, it only presents itself as a greater opportunity for God to do a miracle. That the harder the problem, the greater the opportunity for a miraculous bounce back, if you will, for redemption, if you will, for a story that only God can author. See, the, the greatest miracles that will ever take place in your life will always be a result of the greatest problems that you've ever faced. Sometimes we run from problems when God's saying, no, no, I want to be with you in the midst of the problem. Listen to me. You are highly favored even when you're going through a storm. See, maybe that's why in this season of your life, things have been hard. God isn't punishing you. He's simply preparing you. See, as a believer in Jesus, you have a great opportunity for a bounce back. In fact, the greater the problem, the greater the opportunity you have for God to do a miracle in your life. My, my encouragement to us this Christmas Eve is, is don't give up hope. See, I hope every single year that the Buckeyes win the national championship. But hope like that is really kind of a, a flaky hope. In fact, it really waters down what biblical hope is all about. The biblical context for hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in God's faithfulness. See, hope for a sports team is, is kind of flaky. I don't really know who the victor is going to be, but that kind of hope is just like a fleeting wish. And so, yeah, 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 I hope that the Buckeyes will win, but really what I mean is that, you know, I wish the Buckeyes would win every year. But, but the reality is that I don't hope that spring will come. I know that spring will come. And when spring comes, I don't have to hope that summer will come, I know as well that summer will come. In fact, the, the analogy just keeps playing itself out every single season of our lives. And Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. Listen, I consider the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He goes on in verse 24, he says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen, that's not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, then we wait for it with patience. There's a song by, by Hillsong Worship that, that has this quote that says, Nature acquaints us with the nature of patience. Nature acquaints us with the nature of patience. As I mentioned a few moments ago, when it's winter, I hope for spring. When it's spring, I hope for summer. When it's summer, I hope for fall. And here's the beautiful thing is that each season is necessary in order to prepare us for the following season. 
nature itself, all we got to do is just look around and realize that every season that we even experience here in Ohio is a setup for the coming season, for the next season to come. See, the season that you're in, it's preparation for the season that God is taking you into. See, God sent a Savior in the most unlikely of forms. He sent him as a baby, not as a warrior, not as some mighty king. He sent him as a, as just a, as a seed, a seed in Mary's womb to live among us, really to show us what hope personified look like, what hope in walking form look like. Jesus spends the first two years of his life hiding and running from King Herod, which is interesting too, because I think there's a lot of seasons of our lives where we feel like God is hiding from us or that we're running from the trouble that we found ourselves in, or maybe even worse, we, we find that all hell is breaking loose around us and there is nowhere to run. But here's what's so cool, is that when you play the story of Jesus out, it doesn't just end at the manger scene. Because just when the enemy, just when Satan thought that he had won, just when the stone had been rolled in front of the entrance of the grave, Jesus arose from the dead. He arose from the grave. See, Jesus is in the business of resurrecting your lost hope. He's in the business of resurrecting the lost hope of this of this world. It's because of Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. It's because of Jesus that our hope, it's not in the doctor's report. It's because of Jesus that our hope is not in a vaccine. It's because of Jesus that our hope isn't in a government official. And all of those things are fine and all of those things can be good. But listen, our hope does not rise and fall based off the circumstances of what we can see, what we can hear, what we can feel. No, no, our hope remains in who Jesus is. It's not in the numbers in our bank account or the lack thereof. It's not in the most recent conversation that we've had with our spouse, with our kids, with our parents, with our teachers. No, no, our hope is not in how God's going to do it. It's not in when God's going to do it. It's not even in why all of what's happening around us is happening. Our hope is in who Jesus is, in the finished work of what he came to accomplish. That Jesus, when it seemed like all hell had finally won, he said, oh, time out. You lost once again. It's the same story that Jesus wants to do in your life. I know it's hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. It's hard for so many. But I'm telling you, the harder it becomes, the greater the opportunity you have for a bounce back. I used to think that disappointment was the enemy of hope, but I don't anymore. Because after some time, I've actually learned and realized that disappointment is the doorway to deeper hope. In this Christmas, some of you have thought that God was gone. He's not gone. He's just up to something in your life. I think right now we look around and we think, what's going on in the world? We don't even necessarily need to know what's going on in the world. I know that's really hard for a lot of us who want control. What we do need to have, though, is hope in Jesus who's always in control. He wants to restore hope in your life this Christmas season, that your hope would not rest in someone other than or something other than Jesus. Because the hope of Christmas is found in Christ. There are many of you right now who are hanging out with us today and you've never actually placed your hope in Jesus. The greatest invitation 
of this Christmas season is to once again place our eyes, our attention, our focus, our heart, our spirit, our soul back on Jesus and to recognize that God sent him simply as a seed. And for 30 years of Jesus' life, we don't see a whole lot of him. But for three years, he changes the world. And maybe it's going to take more time than what we wish that it would take for God to do something miraculous in our life. But I'm telling you, it's always worth the wait. Because what God wants to do through you and for you and in you is far more greater than you could ever do on your own. And if you don't know Jesus, today's the day. If you never place your hope, your faith, your trust in Him, this is your moment. It's the greatest opportunity that you've ever had. I, and I would ask that right now, you don't, you don't let this pass you by. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, that today is the day of salvation. In other words, Paul is declaring that you do not have to figure out how to get your act together first. You don't have to figure out and have a plan for what tomorrow may or may not look like. You don't have to try to clean up your past. Today is the day where you could be saved simply by placing your faith and your hope in who Jesus is and recognizing that He came on your behalf so that you wouldn't have to pay the price and the punishment for your own sin. He said, listen, you've got shame, give me your shame. You've got guilt, give me your guilt. You've got problems, I want to walk away and walk through those problems with you. Whatever it is that you've got going on in your life, Jesus says, I'm there for you. All you've got to do is believe in me. In fact, Jesus is the bridge to our Heavenly Father. It's because of what Jesus did that we can know God personally. And if that's you, if you say, you know what, Jordan, I, I want to place my faith in Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you in a prayer right now. I just want you to pray this prayer after me. No matter where you're at, if you're in your car, pull over. If you're at the gym, go to the locker room. If you're in your home, just take a minute, set aside whatever else you had going on, and repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus and I believe that he's the son of God and that he came to this earth to die for me and to be raised from the dead so that I could be saved. And on this Christmas, I place my hope, my trust, and my faith in him. And it's in his name, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you pray that prayer for the first time or to recommit your life to Jesus, I want you to text the word ethos yes to 94,000. It's on the screen right here, ethos yes, 94,000. We're going to follow up with you. Listen, we're not going to show up at your house. That would be so weird. But we're simply going to give you a phone call, shoot you a text, let you know kind of what some of the next steps are in your walk and your relationship with God. In fact, before we conclude, we're going to receive communion together. As a community here at Ethos, we, we don't think there's a better way for us to close out 2020 and go into 2021 than to remember who Jesus is. In fact, if you're, if you're in your home right now or wherever you may be, I, I want to encourage you to find something that you can receive communion with us. Find some bread, maybe find some crackers. Listen, the, the elements aren't as important as sometimes we give them credit for. It's what the elements represent that is most important. So find some water, find some juice if you've got it. But we're going to take the bread, we're going to take the juice, and we're going to remember who Jesus is. So I want to give you a minute right now. Go to your cupboard. Go to your pantry. Find something that you, whether you're by yourself or you're with your family, that you can receive communion together. Parents, if you've got your kids, I would encourage you right now to kind of wind them together. Get them, 
get them together and receive communion. If you don't have time for that, maybe even later on this evening, before Christmas Day, I want to challenge you, Mom, I want to challenge you, Dad, to receive communion with your kids. Invite them into this moment, into this opportunity of remembrance as well. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 11, he's quoting Jesus and he says, listen, this is my body, the bread, which is for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. He says, in the same way then after supper, he took the cup, he took the, he took the wine, he took the juice, and he said, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. Do it in remembrance of me. What Jesus is saying is that whenever you receive communion, do so placing your attention and your focus on Jesus, on the fact that he did for you what was ultimately owed by you. His body was beaten. It was punished. It was brutally just just wrecked. And then his blood was poured out. And his blood, without it, we could have never had the forgiveness of our sin. His blood is what gave us entrance to God's throne. As the author of Hebrews says, now we can go boldly to the throne of God. So right now I want you to go ahead and take your cracker, take your bread. I want you to break it. Break it just as a representation of Christ's body being broken for us. And I want us to receive it. Go ahead and eat it now. Take our, take our liquid element, whatever that liquid element may be for you, and we're going to receive it. Go ahead and receive this element now in remembrance of the blood of Jesus being poured out for us. Father, thank you so much for, gosh, thank you seems... seems so insignificant, God. We love you because you first loved us. Jesus, we honor you. This season is all about you, but Father, may this not just be a season for us. As a community of ethos, may every single day, through the power of your Holy Spirit, may we be reminded of who you are, of your love for us, of your sacrifice for us. May our lives never be the same again. May we enter this new year with hope, that what you're doing in us and through us is greater, no matter what the surprise may be, than anything that we could do on our own. In Jesus' name, amen.